jumping around because uh, we're at the last verses of the book of Revelation, but a little two-part series uh, called Songs of the Night. Amen? Songs of the Night. And uh, this, is, this, this one is Songs of the Night, Midnight Prison Break. Songs of the Night, Midnight Prison Break. In uh, Acts 16, we meet with a prison break that's initiated by God, ultimately. Uh, and there's a lot of lessons there. And I thought, last week I went through various verses where we looked at a psalm, we looked at different passages, which talk about how God gives us songs in the night. Amen? I'm not going to go through those verses we went through last time because I have new verses to cover. That's why there's two parts here. But it's very instructive for our own Christian walks because... Our Christian lives are filled with spiritual warfare. A lot of people think, you know, when they become a Christian, they're taught that it's like a smorgasbord of name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and God, you were the king's kids, and God wants us to live it up here. And they're sorely mistaken because we are in a world full of trouble. Satan is called the God of this world system. Amen. And the scriptures tell us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So we have this spiritual war going on between us. And as soon as you become a Christian, man, boom, there is a bullseye, you know, on you. And Satan's got you in his sights. Have you considered my servant Job, the Lord says, to Satan? And Satan says, no, I don't even know his name. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, you've put a hedge around him. You've kept me from getting him. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour our very souls. Goes to and fro, looking for who he can devour. That's why we're called to resist him steadfast in the faith. What does that have to do with songs in the night? What does that have to do with music? Everything, you guys. Because we are not in a, on a playground, man. It's not a bowl of cherries, walk through the park. We're in a spiritual battleground. That's why the Bible says fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. Amen? Amen. So we're called to fight the good fight, fight and lay hold on eternal life and war the warfare, as Paul says. And the weapons of warfare are not physical but they're car- or carnal, but Paul says they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the, what? Against, against the Lord Jesus Christ, against his word, against the knowledge of God. And last week we talked about spiritual warfare and music a bit and how Satan uses it. And we talked about, well, guess what? It's a weapon in God's hands. It's far more powerful in God's hands, even though Satan lulls the world into a spiritual stupor and sleep through the music of the world system. We have music that's so powerful. We talked about how God had them surround or march around Jericho, right? Blast the trumpets, put the worship team up there, man. And, and then there was a shout of everybody, and then the walls came tumbling down. And that's reality. You go to Jericho, and the ruins show that, the, interestingly, the rocks fell outward, not inward. The, the, it's crazy. And it shows that there was this massive earthquake. It's interesting. There is an earthquake associated with music or the blasting of trumpets there in Jericho. But the same thing happens in Acts 16. See a little pattern there. We also see in Chronicles. I'm not going to go through it. We went through some of the details and read some of the text where God put the worship team in front. By the way, Judah means praise. Amen. And as they were praising God, their enemies attacked each other. Remember that? And routed each other. And God gave them victory. We saw King Saul, demon-possessed, unwilling to relinquish his kingship to David. But we see David playing songs before him with his harp, and the demon would flee. Remember that? It says whenever David would play the harp, the demons would flee. I believe there's music, satanic music, that attracts demons to you. You need to watch what you're listening to, man. You open up the door to the demonic world. Just as there's godly music... That's spirit-filled music that demons hate. 
I can show you Jimmy Page being interviewed by a master occultist. And Page was a master occultist himself of one of the biggest bands of all time, Led Zeppelin, the second biggest band of all time. He said, yeah, we play riffs to get people into trances at our concerts, you know? Admits it straight out. So watch what you're listening to, amen? And watch who you're praising. We're not here to praise sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We're here to praise our Lord and Savior who gave us life and made us in his image, who redeemed us by his blood, amen? So it's interesting. Music is a weapon in many ways. Now, we don't often think of it because the main reason we should think of music is it's been created to glorify God. So we sing not because it's a weapon, although that's part of the picture, but because God deserves praise. He's given us the, 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 the uh, gift of rhythm, well, some of us, right, <laughs> give us the gift of, uh, of melody, right? So we could lift up our voices, gives, gives us voices to praise him. And just as beautiful, uh, I mean, that, we're not used to seeing mountain capped. And that's, that, most of that, a lot of that mountain's covered. I'm driving up here, I'm like, so beautiful. I love Simi Valley and being surrounded by the hills and when they're green for a long period of time or the area around about here, this whole Conejo Valley and Ventura County area is just beautiful. But a sunset just there's things that evokes emotion, thought, a sense of beauty, a sunset, a rainbow, right? What's that? That's amazing. I've been working on, on, on a, a, a couple studies, probably more than one, down the future on, on the rainbow. And there's something going on there that's so heavy. The reason God did that. We know, oh yeah, he gave that as a, as, as a symbol to show us that he won't flood the earth again. That's true, but there's a lot more to it which we'll get another time. But these things evoke just, uh, they, they pull our heartstrings, man, which shows you they're a creator. If we're just evolved out of gas, we wouldn't look at another gas and how they're assembled and we wouldn't say, oh, wow, it's so beautiful. No, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's love, there's things that God gave us that so, are so wonderful. But it's interesting, Paul ends up in spiritual warfare that he did maybe not fully anticipate. He's on a second missionary journey and he receives a call by he sees in a vision, Paul gets a vision, and God's calling him. Well, there's a man calling him to come to Macedonia, to come to Macedonia. And God, Paul realizes this is God speaking to my heart, that the mission is now we're supposed to go to Macedonia. And he finds himself in Philippi, which is a, a part of the, the city of Philippi in Macedonia. Now, when he's there, they've been having great success. At the beginning of chapter 16, you see that Lydia, he's ministering, they're ministering some people. And Lydia, a woman who's very wealthy, she's a maker of purple. Purple dye was very hard to come by. And uh, she's probably dressed in purple, advertising her wares. And she gets converted to Christ. And she opens up her house, and you have a house church starting there in Philippi. So Paul's like, wow, this, things are going really well. Things are, things are going great. But go to verse 16 now. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. And what's interesting is, and I don't have time to get into it, but we will next study, hopefully, when I do the message on Pharmacaea, when we're back to Revelation 21.8, and those who, will not, those who will go to the lake of fire or not enter the holy city, uh, says one of the reasons is because of their, their sorcery. The Greek word is pharmakeia. has to do with hallucinogenic drugs. And this is a spirit of a python, which is associated with Apollos, which is associated with a school of fortune-telling and divination where people, kings, and everybody would go to this place to, to, to get their prophecies read over them throughout the Roman Empire, a very famous place. And she's associated with that school of the occult. And that school of the occult was associated, according to people that lived in that, that period of time, just after that, to... Uh, hallucinogens that were being used 
Quite interesting. That's one of the uh, prevailing theories as to what was going on there. And she had opened herself up to a spirit of divination, fortune-telling. And they were following Paul, so I can only say that much about it because it's pretty heavy when you look at it. Uh, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So she was a slave. She was possessed by a demon. She was telling people's fortunes. Uh, and she's making a ton of money at it. And, she, and it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of lessons. You know, it's funny because I pray, Lord, show me lessons for myself, but for the congregation, for my brothers and sisters, that we can learn through these texts that can change our lives. And it's funny because I was pretty well into this message, and I felt I had the lessons that I felt so we can learn the history, learn what's going on, learn what God's Word is saying, but what is God speaking to us? And then one lesson just hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, that was, it just jumped out at me. It happened that as we were what? Going to the place of what? Prayer. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Think about it. What were they going to do? They're going to go pray. And what happened on their way to go pray? Bam! Satan met them. And I thought, isn't that the truth, man? Isn't it when you set aside time to seek the Lord, the enemy time shows up so often? Isn't that true? You know? And you see that throughout the Bible. That happens often. Jesus is baptized, right? He's going to start his ministry, goes in the wilderness to fast and pray. Who's out there waiting, man? Satan's out there. Wow. Like, and if you say, well, what a bummer. Yeah, it could be a bummer, but guess what? The Lord allowed this to happen because God wants to get even greater glory through our adversity. When Jesus went out to the wilderness, I'm glad that happened because guess what? That teaches us a lot, and it showed that he is the son of God. Amen. Satan caused the first family to fall in a garden where it was all beautiful. Jesus is in the wilderness fasting without all these trees to eat off of, and he has victory. Amen. So it's interesting. Do not let Satan mess with your prayer life. How is your prayer life, man? Are you seeking the Lord? Because guess what? Satan hates prayer. And I looked at this, I thought, this is pretty heavy, man. Because I know I've been studying, I, I memorized Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 recently, in the last few months. I committed that to memory. That's the seven pieces of armor that we're supposed to be put on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil, in the evil day, right? All those verses, I won't go through it all. But the last verse, verse 18, which is the seventh weapon, is prayer. You know? Praying at all times in the Spirit. We're supposed to be praying according to the Holy Spirit. That's God's desire that He helps us seek Him by His Spirit, right? With all prayer and supplication for all the saints. We're supposed to be praying for all the saints. If you're not praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're just praying for yourself, you're not walking right, man. You need to start praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make that part of your prayer life. Amen? This is with this in view. With, be on the alert with all perseverance. We need to be on the alert because the enemy is stalking. He's prowling. We need to see what's going on with the brothers and sisters. Make sure we're praying for them. Amen? And then it says making procession. Then he says again, making intercession for all the saints. So Paul's going to pray. They're going to go pray for the saints. It's a powerful weapon against the enemy. It's part of the armor that we're supposed to put on. But as you're going to pray, Satan's like, nope. Satan hates praying saints, man. He hates your prayer life. God gets blessed when you pray. Amen? It blesses his hearts. It blesses my heart when my children talk to me. Blesses my, my heart when my grandchildren talk to me and they have requests and if I could help out in some way, well, guess what? God could always help out in the best way. Amen. He's just waiting for us to pray. 
I want to encourage you to pray for, I just heard this just 10 minutes ago, Lisa McFall shared with me, that little Austin, uh, was it 10 minutes, Lisa? Uh, 10 minutes. Don't let the enemy take you away from our prayer time. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> She's bolts out the door. Uh, <laughs> no, Lisa was sharing with me uh, that uh, little Austin, you know, um, some of you know Kim, right? Kim Pugh. Uh, a lot of you know her from the retreat. And uh, Lisa and I just ran into her the other day, which is crazy. We were shopping and we chatted with her for a little bit, maybe a half hour. We stood there talking. And then I just found out, she said, hey, can you pray for little Austin? And uh, he is, uh, went through a 10-minute seizure this morning. And uh, so, uh, and also pray for Alyssa. Alyssa went here for some time with her husband. They'd moved, but uh, she had a baby and she's on dialysis with, you know, potential kidney failure. And they didn't, the babies don't typically live. And her baby was born, he's three pounds old and he's living right now. So if you could pray, and Father, we pray right now in your son's name so we won't be stopped. We just pray for little Austin and, 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 and Kim and and we pray, Father, for Alyssa and her baby and her husband and pray you bless that family and that you keep them, that you draw them close to them, and that you strengthen them and that they'd all be close to you, Father, and they'd just be, continue to be just bright lights for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the enemy wants to keep us from prayer. We need to make sure that we are praying. Uh, it's interesting because it's occult activity that opens people up to the spirit world. And, uh, you know, I remember I was asked to pray uh, for a, a gal. Uh, years ago, we had a brother named Steve. Uh, Lenny's, you guys know Lenny? A lot of you know Lenny was our sound guy for so many years, and he's now near San Diego living with uh, son-in-law Steve and, and, uh, and the, the, his daughter, and, and they wanted prayer. Steve, I should say, and Greg was our worship leader. Greg is Steve Davis. They were our worship, Greg was our worship leader, and they came to my house and said, Joe, can you come and pray with us, man, for my sister? Because she's totally into the occult. She has all these New Age books everywhere, and she's a demon speaking to her. She's full demon, fully demon-possessed, maniacal, like just something speaking through her. They were freaking out. They'd read about it. They'd heard me teach about it, and then they're like, here it is, Joe. You know, the rubber meets the road. Can you go into San Fernando Valley with us and, and pray for her? I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've dealt with demon-possessed demon people before. But when I was in the occult, I was demonized, man. I cried out to the Lord. He delivered me. I knew the power of God. So I was like, yeah, let's go. So that kind of thing, man, if you're getting into the occult, and you know, I'm just reading my, in the, my, my astrolot, my astrology, and the, you're just opening yourself to demons, man. Read Isaiah 47, man. These fortune tellers, these astrologists, it says they can't deliver you even themselves from the power of the flame, and God judges them. Because God's enemy, Satan is God's enemy, man. And when you start trafficking in the spirit world, in spiritism, that's Satan's kingdom. That's Satan's domain. And you open yourself into those demonic forces. You know how many people you see walking down the streets if you're going through you know, certain areas of, of even Simi Valley at times and uh, L.A. and so forth, and they're speaking to them, you know, entities and so forth? You know? It's very, very real. Very, very real. And uh, we read in verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So she's following them all over the place as they're trying to show the gospel. And she's saying, These are servants of the Most High God proclaiming the way of salvation. And that sounds confusing. It's like, wait a minute. Isn't that true? Isn't that what they were doing? No. Not if you look at what she was saying and how she would have been understood. 
In fact, most commentators, most of your study Bibles, most commentators, it drives me crazy, get this wrong. They say, oh, well, yeah, the Most High God, she's talking about Yahweh, and, and, and she's preaching that Jesus is the only way to be saved. No, that's not what's going on at all there. Okay? Uh, first of all, uh, who in that culture would be understood as the Most High God? Zeus would be understood as the Most High God. She's kind of a coexist. We all kind of believe in the same God. You know, New Agey. In fact, New Age movement, Jesus is just one of many ways. He's a way. Well, doesn't it say the way here? Depends on your translation. But if in my translation, which I have a preacher's Bible, man, with nice size print. So I don't like to have, you know, I wear glasses and, and so forth. And, and uh, you know what? I look at the text and it, just even, even a preacher's Bible where there's hardly any notes, there's a little thing right there, there's a little, little letter there, and it says, in the margin, it says, a way of salvation. Exactly. Why don't you translate it that way? Okay. Because there's no definite article, ho, before the word way of, way of salvation. Christianity was called the way throughout the old book of Acts. Right here in the book of Acts, it's called the way over and over again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but, but, but through me. Amen. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. The other verse was 1 John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the door, John 10, 1, and John, John 10, 9. If someone comes another way, the same as a thief and a robber. The Bible says uh, there's no other way of salvation except the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 4, 12. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, uh, if you neglect the, the, this way, the true way of salvation, it says there's no hope outside of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, 26 through 31, it says, If we go on sinning willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If you do your own thing and just live your own life, you don't have sacrifice for your sins, but there's only a fearful looking for a fire and indignation which will consume the adversaries of God, it says. He's the only way to salvation, man. So the only way you get saved is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that died for you. If, if, if there was another way to be, to be saved, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass for me, Father. So just let it pass. If he, said, if he said that, God would answer that prayer. Okay, I'm not going to pour my wrath upon you. There's another way to salvation. But there was no other way of salvation. So when he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, there wasn't. But they said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Meaning, if, I'm the only, if there's no other way, let me die for, you, die for them. Amen. Thank God he prayed that. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be in line with your will, Father. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. We'd be, all be damned. There's no other way of salvation. Oprah Winfrey is responsible for pushing the occult and New Age books more than just about anybody in this last 20 years through her programming and her reading list and so forth. Eckhart Tolle and uh, Abraham. It's channeling the collective spirits of Abraham, all these different things. And I've shown the church years ago where she's debating a couple people saying, she's saying, Jesus is a way. He's great, but he's just a way. And they're like, no. Two ladies, no, he's the way to salvation. What are you saying? Well, Oprah said she didn't make it big. She was lonely until she came in touch with the universal hum. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I was there before Jesus. You know, and she's preaching. They, that's what the New Age preaches, A-way, coexist. A lot of the times when you see that coexist bumper sticker, it's just, Jesus is just one of many ways. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no ho or ha before way, the way of salvation. It's, it's literally that she was preaching or she was saying way of salvation. No, the. It's not the way. He's a way of salvation. And most high, they would understand as, oh, it could be any, any concept of God. Let's just all get along. Let's all just coexist. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's quite interesting when you see what happens here. So in verse 18 we read, 
She continued doing this for many days. So she kept it up. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit. Notice he addresses the demon in her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. Wow, that's authority, man. He has that apostolic authority. Come out of her in the name of Jesus. And it came out in that very moment. Wow. You know, when that happened to me, when I was, uh, uh, went to, some of you are saying, what happened with that lady? <laughs> he prayed for her. We went down to her house, and I was like, I think I was my late 20s then or something, right? And, uh, and we went into the house, and I'm praying on the way, Lord, you know, she says he's fully demon-possessed. We went in the house, I step in the door, and she's in her room, which is all her libraries is full of the occult, and, and she was not coming out. And they're like, knocking on the door, miss, I almost said her name, but they're knocking on the door. And Greg and Steve were like, she's not going to come, she's not coming out. And I just stood, by the, stood inside the door, it's a small apartment, and I just stood there, and all of a sudden, she, the door comes flying open, and she makes a beeline right to me, running toward me, literally. And I'm seeing her come at me. And I opened the door and ran and screamed. No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure part of my flesh felt like it. it was like, and I just was like, like almost like a, 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 you know, a, a gunslinger. I was like, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. You know? And I just, in the name of Jesus. And boom, right as I said, it's like she hit a wall. Bam. Stephen Gregor right there, a witness is bam. She hit like, boom, and she fell to the ground. And it's like all this, you know? I'm like, whoo, praise the Lord. You know? In the name of Jesus, I started praying, you know, leave her, you know, and so forth. Then we brought her over to the, uh, almost immediately after that, we brought her to the, uh, just a minute later or two, we brought her over to the couch and continued to pray for her, you know, and then she was mellow. And then the next day they called me and said, Joe, she's in her right mind, praise God, you know. The power of Jesus, the power of his name. We have no power in ourselves. His name. They, Paul used the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And uh, just a, you know, sometime back, Josiah was, and Lisa and myself, I think Chad and Holly, we were just the, Heather, the whole family. We were at uh, the wharf in San Francisco. And uh, we were coming back from doing ministry, and we stopped at, in San Francisco on the way back and hit the wharf and and there was a lady that was dressed in all black, like spandex kind of, or like, not, like leotards, right? And she was doing all kinds of weird, you know, gyrations. And the place is packed, and people are like, the part of the Red Sea, man, they're just going around her. People are tripping out because she has these really wild, diabolical eyes. Just, and she looks angry and just contorting in all these weird ways. And we're, she's doing it on the sidewalk in the street. And, just, and, and it was like, it was a zoo, but people were like going around her like, Wow. That's crazy. What's going on there? You know? And, and then we, we're, it's hard not to watch what was going on because we even crossed the street still keeping our eye on her, you know? She's probably like 60 years old or something. I don't know, 55, 60. Uh, I'm 59, so she's still young then. I was thinking she was older, but she's, she's probably young then, right? And, uh, <laughs> and we're watching that and uh, just, and we're, you know, doing things and then we see her and she goes in back of this jazz band that was playing in the middle of the street where they had part of the street cordon off. And they had these Marshall st- or these stacks of, you know, Marshall stacks or whatever they were. Uh, big old bass player. And she's in back of them. And I'm like, she looks like she's up to no good, man. She's getting closer and closer. Then she grabs the guy's cup, which has, I don't know what it had in it. And she chucks it on the bass player. He's a big old dude. Just chucks it on him. 
He turns around, it goes like this. He wants to hit her, but he's like, realizes, oh, I can't hit her. He stops. He doesn't know what to do. Then he goes back to his base, you know. And we're just watching. Then she crosses the street, and then she's heading toward us. And <laughs> my family is like, let's all go into the store as she's coming. <laughs> and they all go into the store. And I'm like, I wish I would have been bolder than I was. But I'm like, you know what? You can't just cast a demon out of anybody, right? There's all kinds of demon-possessed people that, that you know, there has to be some, not, not that there has to always be a willingness, but somebody, you know, but I'm like, I'm going to walk by her. And I'm just going to walk by her and look at her and say, Jesus is the Lord. You know, and you know what I did? I'm, I, I, thought, I thought about Jack Haynes. And some of you know that story. He was an elder in our fellowship for some time. And I'll tell you the short version of it. But Jack, uh, when he was in fire school to become a fireman, right? He, uh, <laughs> he said he, was, he wasn't a Christian. It was before he came to our presentation. They sold their souls for rock and roll at Mike and Lisa's house. And Jack said he came to the presentation to heckle me, right? But God used a lot of scripture. Bam, 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 bam. I quoted a lot of scripture up front. And he said all of a sudden he was locked in. And I gave the salvation call. I just came up. And Jack and Sue are just, you know, great parts of, they're now living in uh, Tennessee. But just great, great couple. Love Jesus. And uh, he's a great elder here. And great couple. Anyway, uh, Jack is not a Christian as before he comes and sees the presentation, but God used his experience to open his eyes. There's something going on. Then he saw the presentation, he realized how real it all was. But as he's driving, there's a lady that they're transporting him, another fireman or fireman to be, and they're transferring this lady, and he's in the back seat with her, and she's speaking a million miles a second. Point at different things. And Jack's like sitting there next to her. And Jack's a big guy. He's like my, my height, you know, maybe a little taller. And he's like, oh. It's like spooking him out because it's so evil feeling. And, it's, and he's not a Christian. He doesn't believe in Satan and the demonic world and understand that's what's going on there. And Jack's like, and as she's going, no, 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 a million miles an hour, he goes, it's like, it's like she's possessed. And right when he thought the thought, she stopped. And he goes, it's like she's possessed. And she turned to him and goes, you're a genius. And he goes, Ugh! you know. <laughs> And I remember that, and I don't know how much they can see, you know, maybe they can read ex facial expressions, or they interact with us when we, they tempt us, so they can see to a degree what we're thinking, because they stick thoughts in them, and they counter our thoughts, you know, but we don't know exactly how that works. So I thought, man, those demons seem to be able to understand a little bit of what you're thinking. So I'm just going to walk by her, because everybody's going like this, so I'll walk by her, and I'm going to look at her, and I'm just going to just think, Jesus is Lord. Let's just say it, Jesus is Lord. And my heart is beeping a little bit because she's a trip. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't her. The demon's a trip in her, right? And I'm walking as I'm walking toward her. And she looks at me. I go, Jesus is Lord. But I didn't, I didn't say a word. She stopped. I'm like, oh, there it is again. What happened to Jack? And she goes, you're a genius. No, no, she didn't say that. <laughs> that would be, be a trip, right? <laughs> she goes, she goes I, go, I looked at her. I go, Jesus is Lord. She stopped. And she turned. And then I looked at turned. And she goes, you're a lethal weapon. And then she turned back around and kept walking the other way. And I know I'm not lethal weapon. I'm, I always say to you guys, we're nothing before Satan in our own strength. We're toast. But Satan is toast when we have Jesus because he is Lord and King. Amen? And I real, but it was Jesus Lord. I could have been a little seven-year-old kid. Jesus Lord. He's a lethal weapon. The name of Jesus is a name above every name. Amen? And every knee must bow 
and every tongue will confess, proclaiming, professing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen, guys? Use his name when you're dealing with demonic attacks. How many of you have been attacked when you're in your bed and you've used the name of Jesus? Amen? And then raise your hand and you got relief. Raise your hand if that's happened. Amen? A lot of, look at hands up all over the place. It's a very strong reality. The name of Jesus is the name above every name. And Paul uses the name of Jesus here. It's powerful. Verse 19, now that she's in her right mind. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, the guys that are using her to make money off her, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So they're like, now they're ticked off, man. Because they're, they're not going to make... So guess what? Yeah, some of these, some of these uh, occultists and these astrologers and fortune tellers and psychics are just, you know being used by demons to one degree or another, and sometimes they're just throwing stuff out there that's not inspired by demonic entities. Those are, it's when they really get things right, that's when you really got to be concerned too. Either way, you're supposed to, it's an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. Lord says, when you, thou art come to the land, me in the promised land, thou shalt not be found among the anyone who practices divination or reads omens or a spiritist or a medium or a necromancer. These things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these things, the Lord says he's driving those people out before you. And if you practice those things, he'll drive you out of the promised land as well. And so he did. Now, it's interesting when you think of all these things because they saw that their prophet was gone. They were more concerned about making money off her than obviously her soul. And that's how it is. There's all kinds of people, you know, in business using rock stars and demon-possessed people not concerned at all about the effect that they're having on humanity with their smut, with promoting people that are running Disney and a lot of these things. A lot of these people are, are, are using possessed people and destroying the morals of our nation, promoting transgenderism, promoting homosexuality, promoting uh, illicit drug use, promoting violence, promoting anti-God messages, promoting baby killing, abortion, promoting all these things. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, it says, right? But the rulers of the darkness of this world. The darkness that's happening right now, it's the rulers, it's a, it's a spiritual war, okay? It's a spiritual war. And we need to understand that because we need to use spiritual weapons. If we don't understand it's a spiritual war, we won't use our greatest weapons, which is the name of Jesus, amen? Which is prayer, amen? Which is uh, casting down imagination, every high thing that exalts itself by the knowledge of God, by the power of God, by the name of Christ, by his word. So, and by the way, that, this story reminds me a lot of what happened to Jesus, when Jesus went to the Gadarenes, remember, and he delivered that guy that was possessed by a legion of demons? The guy's cutting himself. That's happening today all over the place. Kids are cutting themselves. That's demonic. If Satan puts in your mind to cut yourself, that's demonic, okay? He's full of demons. He's cutting himself. He's in a graveyard, okay? I remember when I was opening myself to the demonic world, man, I wanted to paint my whole room black, okay? I loved death. I'd visit the graveyards and stuff with my friends because we're dabbling in witchcraft. Well, then I just opened myself up fully to the satanic realm. Well, this guy's in a graveyard. He's cutting himself. He's in chains, but he keeps breaking the chains, okay? And by the way, they couldn't bind him strong enough. And you, you notice that people that deal with people that open themselves at the demonic world through drugs, you know, whether it's firemen sometimes, police officers. I have a, a, a nurse, right, shaking her head upside in the hospital, uh, shake her head up and down. They break there. They have extra human strength. You have a little girl throwing grown men all over the place because we're dealing with demonic entities. And he was breaking these chains left and right. And guess what? Jesus came to town, man. And Jesus, they, and Jesus I got the spirit to identify and said, we are legion for we are many. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of demonic entities were possessing this man. Jesus cast the demons out, man. 
sent him into a herd of pigs. Pigs, man. The pigs, they wanted to go into the pigs. Don't torment us before our time. Isn't that interesting? Don't torment us before our time. Are you here to torment us before our time? It's like Satan knows his time is coming. When the great tribulation starts, it says he brings great wrath upon the human race because he knows his time is short. Satan's got one fleeting opportunity. He's going to try to win. He's not going to win. I'm not against the almighty God. Amen? Even when Jesus was going to cast one demon out of a guy, the, the boy, the, the boy's coming, bring his father, and the, the demon's throwing the boy into the fire. He's trying to destroy the boy before he gets delivered. Right. Now this lady gets delivered. Now they don't have, by the way, she doesn't have her power to do the fortune telling anymore because it's demonic. So we're dealing with uh, occult phenomena. When it's real, it's demonic. It's demons. And that's why I can show you the top occultists, Crowley and all these guys. They'll make these circles and stuff. That's to keep certain spirits out because they don't have any power over them. And that's basically Satan saying, hey, do this and I'll, you control me more. They're like, oh, okay, I'll do this circle. Satan inspires the very things he says that will help protect them. They don't protect them. That's just Satan's kingdom. He's playing them against themselves. It's all very real. But you remember when they, Jesus cast those demons into the pigs, what happened? They ran off the cliff and were drowned in the water. Amen? So you have all these pigs floating in the water. That's where the term deviled ham comes from, you know? No, that's, no, that's not true, okay? Everything else I said is true, but that's, I'm just playing right there, okay? So you have all this crazy stuff going on, and guess what? Were they all excited that this man had been delivered? No, they told Jesus to leave because they're more concerned about making money than this guy's soul and the fact that this guy was now in his right mind. Isn't that crazy? Make sure you're not more concerned about making money. Here's another lesson. Make sure you're not more concerned about material things than the spiritual deliverance of your children, of, of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are being uh, oppressed. Christians can't be possessed, but they can be oppressed. Make sure you're not more concerned about your own life pursuits of materialism than seeing the gospel get out in the name of Jesus lifted up and people being saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's another important application in our own lives. Make sure you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? And you're trying to be used by God. So you're making sure you're praying and seeking God. And when the enemy tries to stop you from praying, I'm going to keep praying anyway. Amen? And I'm going to use the name of Jesus, even if it costs me. And it's going to cost Paul. It's going to cost Silas. They're going to go through some, some great suffering because of this situation. So dragged before the authorities. And they're going to be persecuted. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, that's right after he says, in the last days, terrible times will come. Men will be lovers of self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's going to be in the church. People have a form of godliness, but they're going to persecute true Christians who are using the name of Jesus and stand up for what's right. And they'll call it revival. Okay? Now, it's interesting because they're going to be radically persecuted. Look at verse 20. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, the civil leaders there in, in Philippi, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful, for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Wait a minute. You guys just had that woman saying coexist. Hey, we all got the same message. They preach a way of salvation. Then they realize, mm -mm. Jesus is the one that they're standing for, not Zeus. And Jesus banished this demon, this entity that was using our, our slave girl, and we're not making money. 
wait a minute, your own slave girl said they were preaching a way of salvation and they were promoting the Most High God, but then they find out who the Most High God is and, the, and that he's the way of salvation. Amen? They don't like that. So we see Paul and Silas in prison in verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be what? Beaten with rods. Okay, fragellum was used against Jesus. That opens up the back like hamburger, man. And Jesus' bones were sticking out. Okay, the rods are still painful, though. They're not as, they're, they don't have metal and glass all tied to the end of them and metal balls where they just rip open your skin. But they're rods of wood, you know, where you get kind of caned. You know, you get caned. You get, you know, just whacked really hard over and over again. And they proceeded, it says, to beat them with rods. Guess what? You stand up for Jesus. Oh, praise God. We talked about the name of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus. And, every, and praise God. Well, oh, but it was good until we got to the part where you get in trouble if you use his name at times. Yeah. Okay. But praise God for the trouble that comes because God used the trouble as we're going to see. That's why you should have no fear. And even whatever we have to go through for using the name of Jesus, it's for God's glory. And he is Lord. Amen. But what's, it's a trip what happens here. Verse 23. When they had struck them with many blows... Not just a few. They were hurting, man. Just one blow would hurt, man. Many blows. They, were, they threw them into prison. I remember being a kid, man, getting spanked, man. And, ha, uh, with a, with a, I'd have to go pick up my own stick, but it had to be thick enough, you know. And it, uh, not get whacked over and over again, but enough times to where it's like, you did not want it to happen. It hurt, man, on the buttocks. This would be on the back mostly here. And this would open up your skin and there'd be blood and everything else. Way beyond what so many of us went through when we were spanked when we were little kids. Uh, and I use, when I discipline, you know, my kids, I just use my hand, you know, in the past. And, and you know, Holly, Josiah, they still get the message when I have to d discipline them, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Haven't had to spank them for years and years. Since they're their mid-20s, they're getting older. <laughs> Verse 24. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Guys, their feet are in stocks. Okay? They fastened their feet in stocks. They put them in chains. They're fastened in stocks. They'd often contort, contort your, 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 your legs in a certain way to where it was just uncomfortable, painful. And then you'd be in chains, and, and it's the inner prison. Okay? And it's interesting, there was three stages to the Roman prison in Philippi. There was the outer community, which there was a little bit of light, and you had people able to, that had minimal charges against them. Okay? And that was bad, but not as bad as uh, the interior, which was separated. This interior is not in the inner prison. Then there was the interior, which you would be separated with you know, chains, and, or, or I should say bars and gates. You were inside the bars and the gates. Still a bad place to be. But then there was the inner prison. That was like solitary confinement. There was no light there. It was, there's rats everywhere. There's an incredible stench. And that's where they were being confined. And uh, sickening, you know. And, they're, and, they're, and they are they're like making, they're, they're trying to give them the message. You guys are not going to do this again. And they've got their, their, their legs contorted in these stocks. They can't even move, right? And there weren't bathrooms and outhouses there, guys. Hopefully you didn't go on a full stomach, you know? 
and it would be pretty gross. The stench and everything that would build up, it was horrific. And a lot of times the jailers were slaves because nobody wanted to be a jailer in the inner prison. A lot of times they used slaves as, as the jailers and, and so forth. So really, really horrible situations. Then verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I love that. There's, I love the buts in Scripture. Verse 25, but about midnight, what you wouldn't expect. You'd expect them, a lot of professing Christians would be like, God, how come I was witnessing for you? I led Lydia to Jesus. I cast a demon out of that woman, and here you have me in the worst place I could possibly be. Don't do that, guys. Recognize that God is always right. He is always good. He never does evil. He never does wrong. He never miscalculates. Amen. He's always on the throne no matter what you're going through. And that if you love him, the Bible says God works all things together for the good for those who love him under the call according to his purpose. Amen. You need to trust him to do good. Amen. And it's everything we go through is for his glory and for our good if we're loving him through it. So Satan would not love to get involved in warfare again here. He's going to be at war trying to discourage them from trusting the Lord, trying to get them to focus on their trial. Remember when Peter was, was able to come out of the boat and Jesus called him to him and he's walking on the water? As soon as he looked at the waves, he started to sink. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Here's another lesson. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus when you go through severe trials. You need to still... Now notice it says they're doing two things. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were what? They were praying and they were singing. They were praying and they were singing. Now, I love that. I love that just doesn't say praying. I love that just doesn't say singing. You want to make sure, man, you pray. And then when you pray, you get right perspective. Cast all your cares. Paul says to the same church at Philippi, later he'll say to them, cast your cares on him, right? Be anxious for nothing. But everything with prayer and thanksgiving and, 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 and with all supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And God will give you what? The peace that passes human understanding. Amen? So what are they doing? Paul, Paul, by the way, is demonstrating this at Philippi. The church is just beginning at Lydia's house. And all of a sudden later he'll write, it, and he's going to be writing from a Roman prison. Here he's in a, a, a prison in Philippi. But later he'll be writing to the Philippians the church at Philippi from a Roman prison about rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Paul practiced what he preached. Amen? He's in prison in Philippi and he's praying, casting his cares on the Lord. The way Peter put it was in 1 Peter 5 is cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Amen? So he's casting, they're, they're praying. And now guess what? They pray and they have peace. Now it's midnight, guys. You know, the other guys are trying to sleep. These guys are in stocks. It's probably really hard to sleep. Okay, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, you know. Uh, either way, we're going to have a midnight prayer meeting. And they begin to pray. And then they begin to praise. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if Paul was like, you know, hey, you know, Silas, let's just give praise to God. Let's sing this song. Or Paul could have they just prayed, and then Paul could have just broke forth in spontaneous praise. Started singing a praise song, amen. Singing a hymn. And then they were singing songs. I love this. And, and uh, they were singing hymns, songs to the Lord, plural, so there's one little short song. They began to praise God. Do you praise God? When you're going through trials, do you still lift up his name? Do you, do you pray? That's, you should pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Amen? Praying at all times in the Spirit. That's part of the weaponry, right? We're supposed to always be praying. Well, guess what? Midnight is a time and they're awake and they're praying. And then they're praising. Do you have your praise on? When you're going through hard times, are you still praising him? We ought to. Remember last week when we looked at Songs of the Night and when it was midnight, spiritually speaking, for Job? He fell on his face when his kids were all killed. He fell on his knees and said, The Lord give, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He still blessed the name of the Lord. Amen. Never, ever blame God. 
Never. The Bible says, woe to him who quarrels with his maker. God, as I said, never, ever makes a mistake. When you go through the worst crisis in your life, you need to hit your knees and say, God, have mercy. God, strengthen me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they're blessing the name of the Lord through praise songs. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful. But notice it says about midnight. That's why my message is called uh, Songs of Night, and the subtitle is Midnight Prison Break, because there's going to be prison break. Because guess what, man? Praise and worship, prayer and praise, songs of the night. Talk about nighttime. This is a song of the night, isn't it? Midnight, man. God gives us songs of the night. I believe the Holy Spirit says God gives us songs of the night. God put a song on their heart, and they began to praise God. Instead of complaining and cursing God and allowing Satan to win, they praised God. They realized, okay, you know what? Paul knows all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm suffering, but I haven't gone through anything compared to what my Lord did. And my Lord went through what I should go through because of my sin. No trial you ever go through will be anything close to what you deserve because of your sin. Always keep that in mind. And keep in mind that God himself entered into our suffering. Well, how come God, well, how come God suffered for you? Hell on the cross, amen? And then what you go through is for the good, as we talked about. In fact, Joseph, after he was rejected by his family, he said what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen? That's how God works. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he makes all things beautiful, all things beautiful in his time. Trust the Lord to work in your life, in your family, and so forth. Now, things are really hot right now, hot and heavy. When things get hot and heavy, you seek the Lord. Okay? Christians are like tea bags. Okay? When you put a tea bag in hot water, what happens? What that tea bag is about. You find out what you don't know what the flavor is, you find out what the flavor is when it gets in hot water. Amen. God reveals to us who we are, what flavor we are, where we're at with Him, where we're at in our hearts when we go through hot water, we go through fiery trials. The truth comes out, man. So you want to prepare for trials now. Amen. You want to have your focus on Jesus now. And you want to make sure you're overcoming the little trials so when the big trials come, that your flavor will not be vinegar. Amen. Will not be something like, ooh, that's, whoa, man, but will be something beautiful before the Lord. It's because he reveals our spiritual temperature, you know? Now, uh, guys, I love this psalm. Check this out. Here's another song of the night verse. Uh, psalm chapter 121, verse 1. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither, what, slumber nor sleep. I love that, man. So at midnight, God's awake. It's not like, i got to wake God up to help me. No, he's there the whole time. Jesus said when you go preach the gospel to his apostles, he says, go to all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the age. And right before he said those things I just quoted in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. They just saw the authority over that demon girl. Now they know God has all authority. He's allowing us to go through this for a reason. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 61 and following. It talks about being in chains, which these guys are. And it talks about singing songs of the night and God breaking those chains, just as we see here in the book of Acts. Notice they're all put in chains, by the way. Verse 61 of Psalm 119 says, The cords of the wicked have encircled me. Yeah, that's what's happened to Paul and Silas. But I have not forgotten your lie, meaning I'm not going to forget you, God, in my trial. Verse 62, at midnight, woo, there it is, guys. At midnight, 
I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I can't help but think that Paul was very likely of thinking of Psalm 119. It's midnight right now. We don't know that for sure. But man, it's midnight. He could be thinking it's midnight. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to praise my God. I'm, I'm in chain just like the psalmist said he was. But at midnight, I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. We praise him not because we're something. We praise him because he's righteous. He's good. His word is true. Verse 63, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Lord, even though I'm in circle, I'm enchained right now, guess what? Your beauty is all around, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to look to you through my trial. That's what you need to be doing through your trials right now. Be looking to the Lord Jesus, whatever you're going through, man. You need to sing praises to him still, and watch him work, because we're going to see him work here. And it's pretty awesome what he does, because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us, and God works the night shift, guys. He doesn't sleep or slumber, man. He's always there. Amen. Verse 26. And this is right after it mentions that they're praying and praising God at midnight. What happens? And suddenly, boom, man, all of a sudden, suddenly there came a great earthquake. Wow. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Man might have made the prison, but guess who owns the earth and has the foundations under the prison? God. And the foundations, it says, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's, not just Paul and Silas's, everyone's chains were what? Unfastened. So it wasn't just an earthquake. God, earthquake, you shake something, it doesn't make your chains fall apart. They became literally unfastened, and all the doors opened. He used the earthquake, but he also was a supernatural work. So man, praise, praise the weapon, guys. Now, it's not their singing, their words that go and do that. It was God that did that. But we draw near the Lord, and he draws what? Near to us. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. We draw near the Lord, he'll draw near you. Submit to God, it says in James. Submit is a military term. It means to do an about face, a 180. So, man, they're making sure that they're, and Paul didn't even have to do 180. He's already seeking God. He just continued to seek God. And the Lord worked here. Now, we don't use praise for manipulation. We don't say, oh, Praise God, I can be set free from this bondage I'm in if I just praise God. So I'll praise God to be delivered from this, 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 these chains that I'm in. I'll just start singing, and God's, that's the wrong heart. You need to praise God because of who he is, amen? amen? And then if you're in chains and God wants you free from those chains and you're seeking him and your faith is in him, then God will just say, okay, they're broken. But God might say, no, I'm going to have you. I mean, because guess what? Paul could have said, oh, man, we're going to be flogged by these guys. we whipped. I'll just sing praise songs, and they won't whip me. That's not how it works. They still got whipped, amen? So we don't use praise and prayer to manipulate God. We, we pray to him and we praise him because it's right. We pray to be in his will, amen? And to be aligned with his will. And we praise him because he's worthy. But when we praise him and when we worship him and when we seek him, he breaks chains. He opens prison doors, amen? And that's a byproduct of just knowing him and drawing near to him. And it is so, so beautiful. I just love this. So it's interesting. Uh, look at verse 27. When the jailer wo awoke and saw the prison doors opened, so now, ha, the prison, this, this jailer's going to be tripping out. He wakes. He's not supposed to be asleep. What would happen if you were a jailer and you fell asleep? Yeah, that's right. It was Roman law, man. You're dead. You're dead, man, if they catch you asleep. Okay. And now you're especially dead because they didn't catch you asleep. But if prisoners escaped on your watch under Roman law, you were a dead man. 
In fact, if we can go to a scripture, I'll show you. Go to Acts chapter 12, verse 18. Acts chapter 12, verse 18. And this you see the apostle Peter is set free by God. Very similar situation. He's set free, and then he escapes. God opens the prison doors. And then we read in verse 18, look what happened. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have happened to become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to what? Execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. So when Peter was set free, the guards were killed. Now this guy's like, uh-oh. You know, he, right away he wants to look, and he brings light up because it's dark, you know, to, to see what's going on here. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped because he's like, you know what? I'm going to just be put to death. I'm going to be killed. Maybe I'll just kill myself because I'm going to be killed. He thought to kill himself. So it's interesting. Uh, he was going to commit Harry Carey, man. It's, I'm, I'm just going to kill myself because they're going to kill me anyway. And it's crazy. But look at verse 28. Very interesting. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself for what? We are all here. Don't harm yourself. Don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. I mean, guess what? Since we're all here, you're not going to be, have to worry. I mean, you get one prisoner escape, you're dead. Like Peter just escapes dead. This is like all these guys can be gone. And some of these guys, especially in the, inner, the innermost sanctum, right, the innermost area, those guys, man, they're like the worst criminals. Capital offenses, waiting the death penalty, right? Uh, waiting, you know, either crucifixion or being beheaded with the sword. You couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. And they're in big trouble. So he's like, I'm in big trouble if these guys have escaped. But, verse 28, but, there's another but there. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Man, I love this. Now, this begs a question. I love this story, man. Why are they all here? Why are they all there? I mean, they're... They could just all take off, right? The, 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 the chains are off. They fell. They're unfastened. If there ever seemed like there was providence to split, it was right then. The, the gates, the, the, the prison doors are open. We just make a beeline. It's midnight. City's asleep. And we all just take off. They might catch a couple of us, but they're not going to catch all of us. Why do you suppose they were all there? I think the answer is in verse 25. Back up to verse 25. This, a few verses earlier, it says the prisoners were what? The prisoners were listening to them. So as Paul and Silas are praising God, it doesn't say they were praising God along with them. They're like tripping out on them. It's midnight, and these guys are praising God. It makes no sense. And those guys, these guys weren't all in stocks. Some may have been, but they were. And how are they praising God? And maybe the news had gotten around a little bit. What happened to them? Because travel is pretty fast when you're in prison. And it was a public spectacle that they'd cast a demon out of a, a woman, you know. And they got in trouble for that. And why would they get in trouble for that? That, that means there's a spiritual world. Now they're praising their God. Who knows what they were all thinking? We don't know how much they knew. But they're hearing them sing the praises of, to Yahweh. 
the one true God. And they're tripping out because they're tripping out because they're thinking, how could these guys praise God when they're in stocks, when it stinks here and their backs have been shredded and they've been whipped? Doesn't make any sense. But how do they have this joy and this love in the midst of it? There's a huge lesson there. This is, this is just packed with lessons, guys, that we can apply to our own lives. That shows me that when your testimony speaks the loudest, it's oftentimes when you are going through a trial and the world is listening. They're going to listen for and watch what you do in the midst of your trial. When they hear you talk about Jesus, they see that you live for Jesus. When, when you're, you're in great health and when your kids are doing well and everything is just beautiful and, and, you, and your job's good and, and your body's not riddled with cancer and everything is good, guess what, man? They might say, okay, well, yeah, praising your God, but wait till things get bad. Then when they see your body riddled with cancer, your kid's not doing good, or you got fired from your job, or whatever. And then they want to see if you're really trusting the God you claim to follow. And then if you continue to look to him, and continue to love him, and follow him no matter what happens around you, then they look at you and they say, wow, that person's serious about their God. That, 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 that God that they talk about is real to them. And now, we've been listening to them sing praise songs, Right? And maybe they're even them hearing them sing Psalm 119 about when they're in chains, they are giving songs. God, they sing a song to the Lord at midnight, and they're like, did they just make that up? Who knows? I don't know what they were singing exactly, but they would sing the Psalms, right? And they're hearing them sing the song. Maybe they're like, oh yeah, well, they're breaking. Yeah, right, they're set free from their trial. Now they're all free. We don't know exactly what they're singing, but they know they're trusting in God, and they know it's not an accident. An earthquake could happen in those regions, not very often, but it happened, and it's such an earthquake that it shakes, and then they're, they're, everybody's set free from, they're like, okay, wait a minute, our chains shouldn't have just fallen off. So now they know it's connected to these guys who are praising God. They know somehow that, that, that's happened, and they, guess what? This is what's heavy. They realize the, those who are truly free and who that earthquake would have been intended for was Paul and Silas. Are you with me? That's who was really set free. And they're realizing, guess what? They're really free. We're criminals. We're not free. The Bible says that whoever sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus said that the Son of Man, he says he, he will, the truth will make you free, amen? And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, and verses 50 and through 52. And it's interesting because they're listening. And guess what? When you're people that you witness to, that you shine the light to, when you're going through things, that's a great opportunity to love God and praise him through your trial so they can see your faith, so they can realize, you know, this is real. Because they're going through trials. The Bible says hard is the way of a transgressor. The transgressors go through a lot of hard times. And then you realize the answer is in Christ when they see your testimony. The Bible says we are living epistles. We're living letters written by God. Amen. So then they can read you because you may be the only gospel. They may have never read the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they're reading you and your version of the gospel. What kind of gospel message are you giving? You speak loudest when you are following Christ. The gospel speaks loudest when we see Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And when they see us following his example and praising God for the resurrection life that we have because of him, the world sits up and takes notice. What a powerful lesson. See, they had a, basically, they could have thought, we have a get-out-of-jail-free card, man. Let's just take off. 
But they are so stunned by what happened. They're like, I want to see what this leads to. It's, it's, a, it's a trippy story. You know, uh, it's imperative, guys, that we trust the Lord through everything that we go through and that we point to Jesus. They didn't fear physical death. Paul and Silas, plus they're realizing Paul and Silas aren't making a beeline. They're not taking off. They're not running away. These guys are listening. Like, they're saying, what are they going to do? They're free. Verse 29. And he called for lights. Because <laughs> there's no lights down there. He called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He fell on his face, guys. He's humbled himself, man. You can see people fall before you. When, they go, when you go through trials, you endure them. And after he brought them out, he brought them out. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that, man. Don't you wish people would just come up to you every day? What must I do to be saved? It's not always that easy. But guess what? It wasn't that easy. Look what all Paul and Silas went through. Amen? And sometimes you're like, man, Lord, what are you going to do? We're trying to be a witness. We led Lydia to Christ. We cast a demon out of this demon-possessed woman. And now here we are. We can't even be a witness. The Lord's like, yeah, you can He's like, yeah, we're going to praise you, Lord. We're going to sing and worship you anyway and just worship you. And guess what? They're being a radical witness to the prisoners around them. They're being a radical witness to the jailer. And I'm convinced that the jailer, was, by the way, the guy knew he needed to get saved. They were so, he, he was so convicted already by what they were singing to one degree or another. And maybe he was passing off a little bit. But when he felt the earthquake and he saw what happened, and he saw that they were still there, now he's like, okay, wait, these guys know God. That's how you show people God in your life. You endure and you persevere. Uh, trials are going to hurt, man. Your body gets racked with, with, with pain or your, your, your children or your loved ones, or your spouse or yourself. You're going through hard times or you're struggling. They hurt and you're still going to hurt. And the Bible says weeping yet rejoicing. You're going to weep through your trials, but you can still rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says the Lord is my strength. Amen. The Lord is the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is our strength and rejoice in him still. So he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Wow. I love uh, Psalm 140, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Isn't that what's happening here? Out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. That's what happened right there, guys. Psalm 40 was being fulfilled. Now we could be in all kinds of pits. They were in a literal pit. And God was setting their feet on the rock. And the jailer gets converted. Who knows how many other people of those prisoners got converted that day. It doesn't say. But guess what? Lydia's little home church that they started probably got a little bit bigger after they left. And verse 31, it says, they said, believe. This is what the apostle said. This is what we all need to make sure we're doing. And if you're not saved, you need to hear this. We all need to hear this. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved, you and your what? Your household. Praise God, you guys. Put your trust in Jesus. He's telling this jailer, you're, he's the head of the house. When you get saved, the likelihood is, guess what? And guess what? He's going to preach to their household. It was, people try to use it and say, look, look, this means even if you have little babies, they'll be saved. If you're saved, your whole house, and even the babies will be saved. And, and, and then you can baptize babies and so forth. That's not what it says. The Bible never talks about baby baptism. In fact, you can look at the first few hundred years of church history. You don't see them baptizing a bunch of babies. Jesus says, make disciples and baptize them. Amen. In fact, we read here, and they spoke the word of the Lord 
to him together. They preached the gospel to him, man. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall be saved. Then they preached the word of God to them uh, with all who were in the house. Guess what? They preached the word. Little babies aren't like, there's not a three-month-year-old like, oh, praise God, Paul, that's good. You know? It's talk, these were obviously a household where they could understand the word. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the, his house. And he took them. Notice he discipled them. Now you win people to Christ and then you disciple them. We're going to have a lot of outreach hopefully this year uh, witnessing and ministering to people. And we don't just bring people to Christ. We want to disciple them and share the word of God with them. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. That's what the jailer did. He washes their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. He and all his household. Amen. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. And rejoice. Now he's rejoicing greatly. You get your praise on other people that are in a funk. They come to Jesus and now they're praising God. Amen. It's awesome. Having believed in God with his whole household. Notice the ki- they all believe in God. That means his wife and the kids. That means the kids were old enough to hear the word and, and put faith in Christ. They weren't little babies. Okay. And if he had a little baby there that didn't hear the word of God and didn't turn to the Lord, that, that child would go up to hear the word of the Lord and hopefully be saved too. Amen. So, well, how come he doesn't say repent? The guy already has a repentant heart. Did you notice that? He's already ready to abandon his old life, and he's looking to, and saying, how do, who, how do I get saved? Now he needs to put his faith in Jesus and complete that repentance. He had godly sorrow. He wanted to get right with God. Amen? And repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind that leads to... The Bible speaks of faith at certain times. It doesn't mention repentance. I can show you a bunch of times where it says repent, but it doesn't say believe. Jesus says, repent, you're all likewise perish. I'll show you that a lot of times. And the Bible often, a few different times, says repent and believe. They go together. Repent means just have a change of heart, change of mind, and then we put our faith in Jesus. Amen? And that's what happens with this guy. It's quite beautiful. Wow. Paul said through, in Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We've got to go through troubles at times, guys. And you know what I love? Paul could have, this is really cool. Paul and Silas didn't leave. Think about that. They're like, wait, obviously Peter was set free before now we're set free. I'm sure they remember those prison guards were killed. That happened a little bit uh, earlier than this, not long before this. And they're like, you know what? This prison guard here, man, Paul notices he's going to kill himself. He says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. God doesn't harm himself. Then he tells him, guys, comes and falls before him. What must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Amen. And then Paul is taken aside and the guy takes care of them. He bathes them. He cleans their wounds. He, he feeds them. Paul shares the word of God with them. He could have taken off. Then Paul goes back into the prison. Isn't that a trip? And what happens is that night or that morning, they said, set those guys free. We don't know why they came to that conclusion, but maybe like, wait a minute. There's something going on here. Maybe they do serve the one true God and it's not Zeus. Let those guys go. And they were, they were able to be set free. But you know what I love? Paul didn't make a beeline. That's our tendency. Lord, when things get rough, we want to be raptured before the tribulation comes. We don't want to be here in the last seven years. And all those who become Christians after the supposed pre-trip rapture, we don't want to be there. We want to have a big party in heaven and celebrate the wedding. Well, our brothers are all suffering, and like Jesus said, like never before. No, that's not God's heart, man. We don't get in the red zone, man, ready, get ready to score at the end of the game when there's two minutes left and a two-minute warning and say, Lord, we want to be out of here. I'll leave it to 104,000 Jews. It says they'll evangelize the world. It doesn't say that. That's a conclusion people jump to because they don't want to be here. I don't think Paul would say that. I think if you said to Paul, Paul, oh man, we get out of that seven years. Paul's not, that's not his heart, man. He was staying there. He could have just been gone. 
Paul said, because he's torn between two desires. One is to go be with the Lord, which is very much better. But he says, I'd rather stay with you to bear more fruit. He said to the church, one of the churches. He said to actually the church at Philippi. And he wanted to stay there in prison until God was done with him. In fact, Paul would say to you, he goes, didn't you read my letter? Being, about being persecuted? I said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, you know, that we'll be set free or we'll rest from our persecution when he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's the second coming, not some secret pre-trip rapture. When he comes with his mighty angels, Paul says, that's when we get our rest from persecution, when he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's when we get our rest. And Paul might say in 2 Thessalonians 2, don't you see what I wrote? Concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together or raptured together to him, don't let anyone deceive you. That won't happen until there comes a fallen away first and the man of sins revealed in the temple. Then the Lord will destroy him with the spirit of his mouth and his brightness coming. That's when our deliverance comes from persecution at the end. But right now, the church is AWOL. They're just sitting on like, Oh, come back, Jesus. Things are getting rough. Come back, Jesus. Jesus says, occupy till I come. Amen. We have, a, we have our marching orders. That's to preach the gospel in all the worlds of witness to all the nations. Then the end comes. Amen. We haven't finished our marching orders. And that's why Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always then the age. He's with us. But praise God. I'd rather be here and bear more fruit to his glory and then go than say, Lord, take me out of here early. Oh, yeah, it feels good to get escape from our trials. But God uses us most when we're in our trials. Do you get it? So when you're going through things, say, this is tough what I'm going through, but I'm going to embrace Jesus through it, and I'm going to trust that he's going to work it for, for the good in my life. Amen? Are you with me? That's the heart God wants us to have. So I want to encourage you. You know, there were 20 lifeboats on the Titanic. You know, only one lifeboat went back for others, lifeboat number 14. They all, and a lot of those lifeboats were only filled partway and halfway to capacity. Some of those lifeboats would hold up to 65 people. Like lifeboat six would hold 65, but it only left half capacity because people were afraid, well, what if we get tugged down when people are in the water trying to get them? And they just took off. No, guys. I want to be like lifeboat 14 that goes back, stays there, tries to win others so there could be other survivors. Amen? That was Paul's mentality. That was Silas's. Aren't there a lot of cool lessons in this? So many cool lessons in, this, in, in, in Acts chapter 16. Let's be like those on lifeboat 14. Let's go back and save others. And I think they were able to pull five or six other people out of the water. I think one or two of those folks still died. You know what's a trip is I'm working on a video. I haven't worked on it for some time, but we got partway done because I'm always working on videos. And we did this years ago. We went to England, went to you know, Scotland, went to Ireland when we filmed our video called Left Behind or Led Astray. And we also filming a video, which we still got to complete, on the Titanic. I did, a, I did a message years ago called, Which Ship Are You On? The Ark or the Titanic? And I went and did a video on that. And we interviewed the guy where the ship was made over in Ireland. We're in, down where the ship was put together. We're interviewing the guy. And we got some cool stuff on video about what happened on the Titanic and so forth. And I based a lot of what I was going to do on that, those messages in the past. But it's a trip because one of the stories... That we, uh, which came through, which was not in the, it's not in the movies made of the Titanic because it would just glorify Jesus too much, was a man by the name of Harper, uh, John Harper. He was called to be a, a, a pastor at uh, Tamudi Church uh, in Chicago, and but he was out there in, in England and so forth. And and we interviewed, we went to that church and we interviewed them. They got all kinds of stuff about him because he died of the Titanic, and his story is not told very often. But it's a crazy story. Because he was witnessing the people on the Titanic to the very end, not trying to get off, trying to win souls to Christ. And uh, uh, after he, the, he, the collision, he got his six-year-old daughter into a lifeboat, uh, but he didn't make any attempt to save himself. 
They weren't allowing men to go at that point anyway. But he was witnessing all over the place. And this is what's crazy. Harper's final moments, he recounts uh, uh, somebody who was actually saved by him on lifeboat number 14, one of those people. Quite interesting. I was drifting alone on a, on a, on a, on a spar that night. And when the tide brought Mr. Harper also on a piece of wreck near me, man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right out of, I love that, right out of Acts 16, man. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away from me, he said. But strange to say, brought him back a little later and he said, are you saved now? He said, no, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down, and there alone, in the night, and with two miles of water under me, I believed I am John Harper's last convert. Wow. How beautiful is that, guys? What an awesome God we have, amen? That's, I want to be like John Harper, amen? I want to be like Paul and Silas. I want to stay behind, and I don't have to stay behind because there's no fictitious secret rapture. It's lulled the church to sleep, thinking we're just supposed to let the world go to hell instead of be a light in the darkness. Amen? We're supposed to be working to win people to the end. Now, guess what? We, there's been a lot of lessons in this, a lot of applications, but guess what? You might say, but it applies to all you guys because you're Christians, but I'm not there yet. Well, John Harper would only be able to speak to you so many times, right? Then, then it's over. You only get so many opportunities. Do you know some of the wealthy, a lot of the wealthy women refuse to go? Because, and, and the men too that could have went later because they were going back to their cabins in the ship to get all their riches. And it was too late. They perished. 1,500 people perished. Many more could have been saved if more of the lifeboats would have went back or would have carried more people off instead of saying, let's make a beeline because the chains are broken and they could have stayed longer and got more people aboard. But guess what? Don't be like those people that perished in the Titanic who wanted to hold on to their riches because you will still perish, but you'll perish forever and ever. And you'll be in the lake of fire where there's no, no light. It'll be darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness forever and ever, separated from God. But thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ died for you. Amen? And if you have a heart of repentance like this man did, and you say, I want to leave whatever I was doing in the past, I want to embrace Jesus, I want to embrace, how must I be saved? The answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen? Amen? So put your faith in Christ if you haven't, because he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried, and he rose again. He paid the penalty you deserve. He rose to life and conquered the grave, conquered the devil, conquered, conquered the powers of darkness, conquered hell. Amen? You can have eternal life now if you put your faith in him. If you haven't done that, make sure you do that, and you become a follower, trusting Jesus Christ right now. And if you put your trust in Jesus, you'll pass from death to life this very moment. Amen? And if you're already trusting Jesus, let's apply these lessons to our heart. Amen. I know I covered a lot of ground, Amen. but we had a lot of lessons. But the main lessons are prayer changes you. Prayer, cha pray, prayer and praise change your circumstances. Prayer and praise change other people. Be a person of prayer and praise and overcome the enemy. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's all please stand and we'll pass out the cup and the bread.